0: Welcome to the Global Nurse Podcast, the show where Filipino nurses from all over the world get to share their stories. Have you ever wondered what it's like to pursue a nursing career while being away from the motherland? Well, tune in as we highlight the inspiring journeys of Filipino nurses as they share their challenges and triumphs of living and working abroad. I am your host, Kathy K. Retardo. Welcome to the Global Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy K. Retardo. For today's episode, we'll be talking to two Filipino immigrant nurses who will be sharing their life of working and living here as a nurse in the U.S. But since April is Autism Awareness Month, they will be giving us a glimpse of being a parent of a child diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, or also known as ASD. Let's welcome our guests. Vicky Go and Lizette Romero. Hi, ladies. Hi, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So I'll go ahead then get started. So Lizette, if you would just like to share with us um, a little bit about you, about as a nurse and also um, your immigrant story to coming to the U.S.?
1: All right, so briefly I'm Lizette Romero. I'm a mother of three teenagers: a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old. And it's the 14-year-old, my youngest one, who is under the ASD. Um, as an immigrant story, I actually immigrated here when I was 14 years old. So as a teenager. Have no idea what's you know what's in store for me from the Philippines to US. So I went to high school here, college here, and so pretty much I consider myself. Even though I'm born and raised in the Philippines, I really I feel like a more of Americanized culture than Filipino. I'm currently an oncology nurse at City of Hope, and I've been there for 25 years. But I started when I was five. I always say that, and so. Nursing is a second career of mine. I think I'm very blessed to have found nursing because it really paved the way for me to be able to take care of my special needs son. And so um, I'm very blessed and I'm sure you'll hear about my journey later and how the flexibility of being a nurse has really helped me bring him up from uh, from going through this um, diagnosis and through the spectrum. So thank you for having me here.
0: Thanks, Lisette. Thanks for sharing us how, you know, that really nursing have been one of those great things of combining responsibilities at home and then you know your work was flexible to accommodate the needs that your uh, son may have okay so next we'll be hearing the story of our guest miss vicky go okay there you go there you
2: go yes right so my name is vicky ignacio i'm um yeah, you know, i uh, i immigrated here back in 2006 in fact this is my second adopted country just because um i was married to someone who is not filipino um he's from singapore um and so you know i thought i was in a place where everything is good you know because i decided basically that that would be my home and my dreams of coming to the states is like you know already shelved you know just because i'm in a country where i thought it's all, all promising but lo and behold, you know, my son got diagnosed with autism at age three and a half. And, um, you know, it doesn't prepare you enough. You know, even if you're a nurse, um, that wasn't an area that I was prepared to. Even, I haven't explored that. I know the word. But, you know, when you tell me ASD, what is that? <laughs> you know, I realize I'm, I'm ignorant. I don't know anything, you know. And so... Um, you know, he, he is it, it was it was difficult because it's my firstborn. So I I have three kids. Um, I I have a uh, um, that my eldest. Um, he's twenty two now, and I have a seventeen year old, and I have a twelve year old. They're all boys. Okay, and it was tough at that time because. When um, I'm actually supposed to be, um, you know, like uh, experiencing being a first time mom, you know, I was put in a situation wherein I have to navigate blindly in the area wherein I don't have a lot of experience on let alone being a parent, you know, so it's like a dual challenge for me. And so... Um, now the other thing that dawned to me is that, um, there's not much resources on where I am, despite the fact that that's one of the few first world countries in that part of the world. And so, um, again, wake up call, right. And so I got to find a way to like, you know, like to tell me that to, to, to help me to how am I going to support my son? And so the United States came to mind, you know, and it was a blessing. I have a lot of spiritual guidance, you know, from the church where I came from, which is the same church where a branch is here in the States. Um, And essentially, you know, I would tell you that, you know, God essentially guided me to come over here in the States, you know, with my um, nursing degree. I passed the NCLEX and stuff like that, you know, that that became like my passport to come over here um, 16 years ago. And so fast forward with all the things that I have done, you know, that I have advocated for my son. Um, he's in college. You know, it's not over yet. Um, we're still faced with some different challenges, you know, his, uh, with his age. But, you know, we're getting there. And so here we are.
0: Oh, wow. Thanks for sharing that, um, Vicky. So it seems like you have really migrated to another country outside of the Philippines twice. One in Singapore and then just because of all the challenges of getting the, the services that's needed for Kiev. For your son, Kyiv, you decided to then um, move to the U.S. So, I I mean, you're just going to be a wealth of knowledge for a lot of um, moms out there. That's just how do you really navigate that transitioning from one country that I immigrated from and then another new country where I think that where you think that it would be more helpful for Kiev? So let's go ahead then as we move towards our conversation, can one of you um, define what Autism spectrum disorder is, so that our listeners may have some more idea of what that means.
1: I think I'll revert that to Vicky.
0: <laughs> wow, that
2: was me, right? So, so it's a triad of symptoms, essentially. You it will come from social communication, social interaction, and the third one would be repetition. Okay, repetitive um, uh, actions or habits what you say you know and so if all those are present most of the time it is going to be autism you know and and as, as, as it says asd says spectrum so there is a huge um range from the left to the right meaning to say the more further you are on the right you know, the, the, the higher in the spectrum you are, of course, on of, the left side would be where, you know, the lower functioning is. And and how you get diagnosed that would be um, there's an assessment wherein they will look at all access, you know, it's, it's based on DSM-4. Um, and that's when a psychologist, psychiatrist, or developmental doctor will diagnose some. Um, and then they'll be the one to let you know that that is, um, you know, that is ASD. Now, ASD has types, okay? Um, there are some books that say that. Um, Asperger's syndrome is essentially um, separated, but there are also books that say that it is part of, um, you know, of, of ASD, which I believe it is. Unfortunately, ASD in the States, or sorry, Asperger's in the States, if you declare that that's your diagnosis, you will not receive a lot of services, or sometimes they don't even give you any services at all. So that's just what I found out, at least in California.
0: Wow. I mean, that's, that's really just a, a mere diagnosis, even if some data that you have already says that's even part of the ASD. So that could definitely be a challenge um, for parents to navigate getting resources for their children or for their child. So our um, next question that I have for both of you is that uh, could you share with us the life of a parent with a child with ASD? What are the rewards and what are the challenges as well? I'll
1: have Lizette answer this question first. All right, thank you. I know since Vicky did a lot of the poor thing, I reverted it to her. <laughs> so I think I do have to say um, as... as as we talk about the ASD being a spectrum, I think there's also a spectrum of rewards and challenges that go with it. I do have to say that in the beginning stages when, like for me, for my when my son was diagnosed, of course, he was at an early stage and we had to really... Um, Uh, change our whole routine, change our our, our priorities and stuff. So it was hard because not only were we trying to understand what the diagnosis means, but where he's also learning as we learn together. I always say that, which means in the beginning stages where, where he's learning to communicate with us, we're trying to understand where he's coming from. And so it was hard. We had to do, yes, a lot of sacrifices where, um, I had to uh, make sure that he was um, uh, going through all these services, and so that's when the sacrifices came, being as a nurse where I didn't work for a while because I needed to be with him. Um, but as we, but that was very crucial. So if there's really one main thing, a take-home message that I want our people to under, to know is um, the earlier the diagnosis, the better, and the earlier help that you can get, the better, as early as they are. And I know for some people, it, it's either one of two things. Either they can be shy from it or they feel embarrassed or ashamed about their child being in the spectrum. But for me, I feel like embrace it and deal with it from the beginning. And so when I say it's challenges yes it is from the beginning but the rewards over later on it's easier at least from my perspective where when we learn how to put on bay how his behaviors and understand where it's coming from we're able to then take him wherever Wherever we want to be. Literally, I can take him museums. I can take him to church. I can take him on tours. I can take him on the airplane and without any behavioral issues. And am I saying is he perfect child? No, he definitely is not. Not even close, especially with my compared to even my other typical developing kids. But we've learned from each other's perspective coming from where he's coming from and how to um, put that behaviors at bay and how to communicate we're able to then teach him how to live more independently. And so, yes, I guess my my main bottom line is in the beginning it was hard, but as he gets older, um, as we're able to give him all the resources and put him on all those things that he needs to be put on, like um, uh, therapies, He's better now and he's able to really manage a lot of self-care, a lot of the things that he was having such a hard time with from the beginning.
0: Okay. So Lizette, could you tell us like around what age was your son showing symptoms of ASD and, and um, you know, what were the first steps that you did to make sure
1: he gets the services that he needed? Sure. First of all, um, unlike Vicky, um, which she was, I mean, I I applaud her and and he was our third son, third child. And so, number one, I had comparison with and how his milestones were. And so I remember about a year and a half, instead of him playing with his cars, he would flip them over and play with the wheels of the cars. Or instead of um, doing things that a typical um, toddler would do, he would play with his straws and look around, or he'd look at patterns and look at lines. So I knew firsthand there was something a little different with him compared to my other two kids. And then I'm blessed with a sister who's actually an occupational therapist who works for Children's Hospital. And so when I brought up the concern to her, the first thing she said was, I think you do need to have him checked out. And so that's when I called actually our elementary school here first, who then referred me to the regional the local regional center, and so even by as early as age two, he was diagnosed with the moderate to severe autism. Now, even for me, bracing myself, knowing something's different, like what Vicky says, you no one would ever prepare you for that formal diagnosis of autism. I remember when we had left the psychologist after him being diagnosed, I was crying with my husband, crying, and all that thing about what did I do wrong? Was it me? Did something? happened? You know, what did I do? Did did I do something that I wasn't supposed to? Did I miss something? But yeah, so that was really the hard part. But after that, that's when the wheels started to roll. Uh, They told me, "Here's your diagnosis. And next next time, next one is we're going to have him and see what kind of um, therapies are out there, which is then the speech therapy came to mind, occupational therapy, plate therapy, and um, a lot, and a big one for me is the applied behavioral analysis or ABA therapy, which is sometimes could be controversial because I've talked to other parents about that, but for me, I really advocate for that because it seems very repetitive, but for me, the positive reinforcement behavioral strategies that we had enforced with him, even at a young age of three, and the consistent, of it, that had helped him really um, help through life and really put his behavior and make him more communicate with us. And so that's my little story.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Lizette. I really appreciate you sharing the the feelings that you had as a a mom as well, that blame, and then at the same time Asking for support from your sister, getting a second opinion who may have more expertise on this and then be directed to get their resources. And we're so grateful here in the U.S. that we do have access to those resources through the school and other um, resources to support this children diagnosed with ASD. So thanks for that chair. So Vicky, tell us how it was for you when um what were the first signs that you saw on Kim? Well Lisette was talking
2: like memories started gushing in, you know, went through the same phase like her. I, I guess it's every parent's um that's that's just, just how it feels, you know, when you get the diagnosis, you know, like what oh, he said, she said, I don't have any um comparison <laughs> but my uh I guess my 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 brother and my sister when they were younger but that was a long time ago but you know the signs were obvious for me though you know when when she she talked about her son um like playing with the wheels I have basically the same thing that my kid is obsessed with the tur- anything turning so it it's the wheels and then he would line up those cars instead of playing with them, pretend play. He doesn't have that, you know, he would just line up the cars and he will just spin the wheels and he will just watch. And then he gets fascinated so much on that one. So, so that was the first thing. And then of course he's not talking and the most amazing thing slash weird thing that I actually noticed, you know, when he was about five years old or so, He started reading books, but he's not talking yet, if that makes sense. You know, when I say, when you communicate, there, it has to have meaning, right? But then the books that he's reading, I realized when I was, you know, like, um, I, I was he was reading those books. Because those are like those toddler books that are like two, three sentences with pictures. But that's a Bible book, you know, with, with all of those. And um, it's about 200, 300 pages. And whenever I flip to any page, he would start reading. And then, of course, down the road, I realized that he was memorizing how it sounds like and comparing it and how it looked like you know so at first I was so proud oh my god my son can read you know but then again it's not making any sense you know because he he would do that when we have new people at the house and I thought he's even showing off you know but but that's, there are other habits your other um, you know like uh, behaviors that he he will exhibit you know the non-communication is is, is something that is a red flag. So that's one thing that right now, if there is a kid that's not talking, you know, or even free uh, words, you know, at certain milestones, you know, that is really a huge, huge red flag. You know, that might be associated with with ASD. You know, so so that's how it started. Um, and of course, went through the whole grieving process. Just when. Right, so but I re- I also remember very briefly that I, I was on the denial phase very, very briefly just because I thought. I- take action, you know, and then I started to voraciously read so much about ASD, what are the treatment options, and just like Lisa, and I'm so glad they said that we have the same thinking because I would be very open to, you know, any of the treatments that's available out there. I'm also a big advocate of ABA, and then that's the very reason why I'm in here in the States, just because the person who studied that a lot and put out an evidence-based study is is Ivar Lovas, okay? He is a UCLA psychologist, um, that actually studied a lot of children. He, what he actually would do is that he would admit these children, it's called like a more, more of an inpatient behavioral management kind of thing, and he will do all of this behavioral management with these kids, and then a lot of data taking. Like they say, ABA is not real, ABA, if there's no data taking, and usually there is somebody who would take care of all the management strategies that is put in with um, uh, on the child, you know, specifically. So it has to be specific with the child, and so that's what I look for first when I came here 16 years ago. And obviously, right, where else can you find that but where it originated, right? So I worked for that hospital too. Well, what a coincidence, right? So I didn't introduce myself, but uh, um, I think I did a lot of things. So uh, there's like a company, a dialysis company that brought me over here and, of course, petitioned me. Um, paid for everything which i'm really really blessed to have that opportunity because that's my passport to bring my son over here and then over time you know i'm a person that wants to have i don't i don't know it's i guess it's personality i really need to get moving and so i i went to critical care um two years after i immigrated on top of juggling my thing with my son you know so i i Healthcare. So uh, that's where, uh, in UCLA, so I work with one of the ICUs in uh, UCLA as well, which again, you know, it's very close to my heart because that's also where I found a lot of those therapies for my son up until he was a teenager. You know, I was going there essentially to bring him for a social program, um, particularly targeted for teenagers and the teenage problems that they would be
0: facing. So more on that later on. <laughs> Wow. So it's really great, um, Vicky, that, you know, you ended up working in UCLA. You were just reading researches back in Singapore about all these therapies available for Kiv and then to really be in the forefront of where that's happening and getting, did that help getting more access and resources for Kiv as, you know, to help with him to adapt better yeah, ABA
2: definitely helped, you know, that's when his language came up. There are other things that I did on the side, but I would say that the biggie would be ABA. And so um, just last Sunday, there was a parent that came, to from, uh, that, that came from Singapore that I actually helped to like give resources. It's funny because she's going backwards. She went to Singapore to access resources. She's an American citizen, of course, but they went home to the Philippines, right? And then, you know, uh, I was telling her that there's really nothing much there. That's just, I mean, for those uh, listeners that, you know, have a affinity with Singapore, you know, I'm, I'm just letting you know my experience just because it looks from the outside that it's a progressive country, but they still have a long way to go in terms of including these children, in terms of resources, in terms of uh inclusion for, for for that matter you know that's a place where we're in. I feel like you're walking around with autism on your forehead and everybody sees that that's just how it felt at that point in time well that was 16 years ago in fairness it might have changed but like I said I've met somebody who came from there just last Sunday and it doesn't seem like it has changed so much so you know so so she's she's actually coming back over here for her son
0: that's also a really good point for, um, for people listening to us, that you know the resources for ASD seem to be much better here in the US as compared to the other countries, as, namely Singapore, where you have experienced that with Kyiv. My question for you ladies, my next question is that, what would be the things that you would um, advise that you would give to parents on how to navigate resources? There are already ABA, as you you both have mentioned, have already been very helpful to both your sons. But what will be the first steps, you know, just someone there, maybe out there, someone listening to our podcast and like seeing this science that you have both mentioned about the wheel, looking at the wheels, turning, lining up the cars instead of playing with them. Like what will be the first step? Like what, you know, if you just can give them like a one, two, three, to just get them started, what would that, what would those steps be? I
1: mean, Lisette,
0: yeah. And then I'll have Vicky answer next.
1: I think I would say, depending on how old the child is, and hopefully, it, 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 I always say there's never too late. You know, you, could, you have to start somewhere. And whatever point you're at, I say, I think, like what I did, start with your local school. And then let's say if they're in elementary, call your principal and ask, hey, I have this concern. I think like my child is so-and-so. And hopefully, if they are a good school, they would then refer you to your local regional center. And then that's how, at least that's how we got our balls rolling. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that I also want to think is, um, as you are already in the system, I'd say still be an advocate for a child. When I say that is every year when you're in the system, they we will talk about in, under multidisciplinary team with the therapist and the principals and talk about your, how your progression of your child is. I think you know your child more than any of this therapist and stuff. And so feel. I always say, make sure you do have that voice. You make your voice heard and be bold and courageous about it. I do have to say, because of my son, I've become a better advocate as a nurse. I've become a better advocate as a mom. I've become a better advocate as of anything. It's because of my son. And so because of that... I have been put in places where I've put my foot ground, my foot in the ground and saying, no, I think that's not how it goes. And I think this is how it goes. Now, but coming from still a platform of gratefulness and grace because of what this country is offering of free resources, but still know that you know your son more, the most out of everyone. And so when you talk about the first three steps, I think, yes, I think acknowledge that you need help. (laughs) And so you call. Um, your local school. And hopefully they will refer you. Number two, I think seek a support system. I think that's important too. Seek. And that's why spiritual community like Vicky and I is very important. And if that's in the case, look for, be friends with the parents of your special needs kids in the classroom, because it does take a village to, to rear up a child. And that goes with just not just somebody in the spectrum, but also in a typical, that goes with anything, Right. And that helps. And I think it really helps when you're able to really um, be with someone and cry out your concerns and go through it together. And maybe you don't know something that the person does. And I think for me, I'm very blessed that other pe- other parents have told me, oh, did you know that they can get free swimming lessons? Or did you know that the summer program? Yes, ask your coordinator about this and see how it's important to have that really connection and that engagement with your neighborhood and fellow parents. I think that's one of the big um, um, encouragements that I have. So I think, yeah, I think considering all that, maybe those are my, my big three steps. Just acknowledge that you do need help and that as soon as possible, you need that. Call your local school and as early as that, seek for a community already that can help you through this.
0: Thank you so much, Lizette, for, you know, making it, you know, breaking it down. And it seems like it can be doable for parents out there that's listening to us. Um, what I would like Vicky to share is that it's to me, I, you know, I I know um, Vicky and her kids. I mean, I know them personally, we're family friends. And I've really seen how much kids have improved. So I would like you to share how it, how, was the whole process of getting him into the university because you know you did mention the challenges of getting him from Singapore to here but now he's 22 thriving in the university so what advice would you give parents out there on how did this even come about you know I I I don't I I have a goal
2: um I, I I always knew my son and and like what Lisette said, "You are the best advocate for your child. There's no one else, not even an attorney, which I've also used to get the, some of the services that I needed. Right? Would would advocate for your son or you for your kid? You know, it has to be you. And so from the beginning, I knew that he can do more. And so I didn't say that. Okay, he's just gonna finish high school and he's gonna go to a vocational school. That was not even in the books. Okay, my goal." Get him to your university, of course, the journey is not over yet, right? And so, I to get him into an adult life, earning his uh, way, uh, living, paying for his place, you know, paying for his food, eventually, that is the goal. Um, so I already have a vision of how what my son would be, and so I work towards there. And so, along the way, it was not easy because, um, it, it's, it's a lot of like, um, obstacles, you know, I mean, I, I don't just I, you know i had to work as well just because my husband decided <laughs> to stay in singapore and not join me here for the first eight years and so <laughs> for the eight years it, it looks like i'm a single parent right you know but it is what it is because here's the thing if, if i also force my husband to like come with me and he doesn't have a job here because he's not a nurse <laughs> right then that's gonna be um, conflict I'm pretty sure there's going to be conflict that's going to arise because roles have changed you know and, and stuff like that and so I didn't want to go through that because I really want to concentrate on getting my son the services that he needs you know and so the arrangement was for him to stay back in Singapore with my then two-year-old because Keeve was seven-year-old when I brought him here so that I can Concentrate on uh, the treatments, and so ABA is a huge, huge piece of kids' success. We did the forty hours based on Ivar Lo- Lovas' um, study, because I mean ABA, you gotta have to do it consistently. You know, with so many amount of hours. Now, why did I get forty hours? Because I fought for services. For, from the same provider to be provided for him at school as well. So in school we already have seven hours, and then he comes home another two hours. So that makes it nine Monday to Friday, and there are some Saturdays that we do another few hours there. So it was a lot of pounding, you know, on the case of Kiev, you know. But then again, that that helped him to improve. So like I said, ABA is a huge part on the side. You know, I I did a lot of um you know, support groups with, uh, you know, with other parents. So agree with Lisa. the first thing that, the first step that you need to actually like have to be able to move forward is to accept that there's a problem because if you're in denial and you're stuck there, you can't move forward. So yes, that is a foundation that's big, you know. Um, and then the second piece for me is that knowledge is power. And how are you going to do that? Just because I guess for me, I'm coming from a country wherein there's not much resources. I need to get out from there and find for resources. But how will I know if I don't live in that place, right? And so so the the, the second thing for me, for you to be able to have knowledge and all of these things expanded is to, join support groups and that's when i joined um a few groups in la from singapore right to kind of like know what's going on here how to navigate the system who are so I, i have a big notebook that has all of this you know i have lawyers psychologists everything so i took down all those and if you remember there's this what you call yahoo groups i don't even know if that exists still you know but Yahoo groups. I was part day of that, and every day I receive a lot of these emails from, um, from parents who are asking questions and parents answering those questions, and I take down all of those notes, you know. And so, so that's that, that's just how I, I actually got Kiv to, you know, to get better, right? And so with that, we have to withdraw services at certain point because here's the thing, you know, there there is a point in Kiv's life where he said, I don't want people following me right? Because it's like a stigma, you're the only one who's like that. So there was a point that we actually did a confederate shadowing. A confederate shadowing, you know, for the sake of those who are not familiar with this, is that they're shadowing the kid, but they are making themselves hidden. So they don't tell, they are there for them. And then when it's time for them to essentially come in and manage a behavioral issue, they will know what to do. Okay, So, so I in school for him because we need to kind of like scale down right so that it becomes not so restrictive for him and like I said there's a time in his life especially when he was a teenager like high school that actually started in middle school already that he doesn't want people to be following him and if he feels weird you know so we had to scale that down a bit and then we increase the services at home to target the life skills um, and of course, you know he went through the entire thing of what a high school would go through, you know. And there's a counselor. You no, know, I'll tell you, my son didn't go through a private school. My son went through a public school. You know, and essentially, the school choice also is a factor, right? Because the school, the high school that he went through, I told them that this is my son, you know, and, and I'm. They know me over there. You no, know, they know me over there. I'm not because they're scared of me, but because I they know that I'm very involved, right? And then that's also another. Key there that you got to make yourself visible in a friendly way you know just because the elementary uh, wasn't a good experience for me that I had to lawyer up and stuff like that but but that's how we did it you know in partnership with the school they help him out apply in universities and I believe that the, the big part here is also spiritual leading just because um he got accepted in Cal State LA he's uh taking up computer science and that school is far from home Okay I live in the Pasadena area and so then if he takes the bus there he does not need to go into dormitory which I'm so afraid of because I do not know how to relate with the roommate you know and that's what I'm really afraid of bullying which thank god we haven't gone through that you know during his uh, school but uh, yeah so but that, so that, that, that's my advice you really need to advocate for your child there has to be a good choice of school and be uh visible in the school let them be aware that you are very um very involved not in a threatening way but in a way that you are collaborative with them instead of like being you know like oh you that's the person that complains a lot you know that kind of so be partners with them and, and then, you know, they, they will be a big, big factor. And then in your university, there's support for those people that are not aware, you know, in, in the States, even if it's a Cal State, which is considered like a public school in the university, right? They do have, um, you know, a, a department wherein there is a disability, uh, that, you know, this is a um, a, a, a department for um, with students with disabilities. So And then there's also a counselor there. So he does talk to his counselor um he will a zoom meeting himself with them and he's still being supported and so you know the journey is not over okay we're still going through the entire thing and so that's those are all that i can advise you know on how they can get their kids to be as, as as high as as functioning like a normal person can be
0: thank you so much vicky for sharing that i, I you know i think a lot of our listeners will be getting a lot of those very important you know gems of how to really navigate what are the resources there so i appreciate you and Lizette for mentioning those simple steps and Really, how to support children with ASD? Before we end this um, podcast, I just wanted to ask you both: Could you also give, tell me a story of how it's like um, with the entire family? Do you have two other kids? Both of you have two other sons. I just wanted to know how is that like? You know, give us a, a um, you know a story of how. Your sons are interacting with um, with their brother um, who have been diagnosed with ASD. How's that dynamic been and how is that with your marriage and also the relationship of a family as a whole?
1: I appreciate that question, Kay, a lot, because I think even for me, I still have to make sure that I have two other kids and that I have to treat them special. So even when they were kids, they already knew when their brother is kind of different. And so we spent all this time with them. We put all these therapy sessions with them. I'm always with them. All the time. So, and there was one time I think I had a sit down with my daughter. Special. I only have one daughter, and she's the middle child. And you know, sometimes even in a jokingly way, she would say, "Mom, how come I? You don't make me feel special." So, in a way, that's also something that I always wanna remember and remind whoever is gonna listen to this that don't forget also that take your other kids out on dates. Remind them how special they are. Well, I have to remind them that I'm sorry how you feel this way, but remember. Remember, just right now, because of the special needs that your brother has, I do have to spend time. But please, um, you know, don't feel that I'm singling you out or I'm isolating you or making you feel less special. And so I find ways, other creative ways to then make them feel special in their own way. And so that's when the daughter and, and mom comes out, you know, when we go on dates together, or me and my son. So that's very big. And I think. They've learned to love. I'm blessed that Jeremy, my, my special son, is the youngest. And so they kind of do know that he's the baby of the family. And so, in a way, they do treat him. And plus a bonuses so it's for our viewers, because of his diagnosis, he can get special passes to amusement parks. <laughs> which means, so I guess that's yes, that's actually a nugget in itself, which means we he can get the front of the, the line pass on any amusement parks, I do have to say. And the only reason I know that is because our um, therapists from before, they had told me about that. I didn't even know. And so it's the truth. And so that's a perk. And so they love my son. They love their brother because of that special. Can we bring Jeremy to Disneyland? Can we bring Jeremy to Magic Mountain? Can we bring Jeremy everywhere? And so, yeah. So what I'm saying is, in the beginning, a lot of reassurance and a lot of reminding, even for myself and my my um, my my um, my husband. And I think one thing that I'm really blessed with is my my husband and I. Are, he's really such a good partner with all of this. We're in the beginning stages when there's a lot of hours, like what Vicky said, a lot of those ABA hours that I had to put in. I used to be night shift. He was supported enough and actually told me, "Okay, Lizette, you can be per diem." And that's when the of the flexibility comes. And so, for the first three years of Jeremy's life, when we were really hounding a lot of this ABA, I was a stay-at-home mom mostly. I was per dm And so, while there was a sacrifice of maybe income, but uh, the pouring of the time we invest, the investment there was, uh, you know, taken later on. That's when the return of investment came towards later on. And so, am I saying that? You know, with having an ASD, my son is definitely different from, from Vicky's son because everybody's unique. And whenever we say ASD, in itself, it, it's even, it's unique. Everybody's unique. All the special needs son is unique. And that's something I always have to say on any IEP. And so I'm still here to support him. He's he's still as not communicative as I want him to be. But I think for me, my my biggest reward is when he comes home from school and he's a happy boy because yes I did lawyer up one time because when he was coming home when he was young just crying and does not want to go on the bus and not does not want to go to school and that's when my big advocate skill my class had come out as a mom and say what is going on here and I need to know what's going on and 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 had to be at school like a lot of the hours just to shadow to make sure yeah and so yeah um a big it does change your family dynamics but I think I'm very grateful that you know, I think the kids just understand how special he is, and that for us parents to treat the other kids special as well in their own way. Thanks, Lizette. Wow. Thanks, Lizette. That's
0: such a great share. So, Vicky, share with us how it is uh, with your two other sons and then your husband. How's the whole family dynamic of having um kid being diagnosed with ASD? Like,
2: oh gosh, Lizette, it, it, you made it sound so easy with your family, but. Uh, um, wasn't that easy for me just because like you, you know, you heard earlier, I said that, you know, me and my husband were apart for like eight years, but they did come here twice a year though, you know, with my, my, uh, with my second son. Now, because of that separation, like 11 years, you gotta have to count that they were going back and forth. They joined me here for good back in 2015, I believe. So that was about a ago. So my second son was like night and day with my eldest son. He talked uh, very early. You know, he is, I am not going to say what, a very independent, right? Um, if, if, if the Filipinos who are listening, um, you call them like those kids like Bibo, you know. There's also a downside for that because sometimes they too, they're too smart to essentially like deal with, you know. And like middle child, like UK. <laughs> that you know you, you gotta have to have an answer because they will always ask why you know and and there was one point wherein when he was coming here because they come here every June and Christmas or we go back to Singapore that he asked me mom why do we have to be separated why are you over here and me over there and that to me was like hard I mean, it, it seems too easy too easy to explain, but I really have to make sure that he understands. And my simple reply was, because your, your, your kuya is sick and there are the doctors that can take care of him are here, you know, and, and that was simple that I explained to him, of course, he was growing. And then there was one point that I had to sit him down and talk to him that ASD, you know, and what's that, right? And so I had to break it down for him. But because of the time that we lost together, I do not think he had a good grasp of what it is essentially. And so when he moved here with my husband, right, on top of trying to for me and my husband to assume roles, which is also another thing, you know, I feel like he's still a blessing to me just because we blend in. It's not quick, but, you know, it took us... Some time to like essentially know what roles do we assume because imagine you know he is the head of the family back home and then I'm head of the family right here and then we come together so it's a big explosion <laughs> so like you know, we clash um on, on little things you know you wouldn't imagine how small things also can make it so juggling from there and also I have to make my son realize that you know you, you're also um Somebody that I will spend time with, you know, like what Lisette said, you have to make them special also, you know. So um their difference is five years, so that's a huge difference. But um I, I think at that point that me and my son um spent time apart, he developed a bit of like a resentment. And and I'm not gonna, you know, it's still something that I am dealing with right now, you know, but he's much better now than before. Um just because my son, even though he attends university, he's very immature, you know. There are uh, things that he does that not a 22-year-old would do, you know. And so right now, how the dynamics of the family in terms of order of birth, in terms of assuming responsibility, falls on my second son. And and I think he enjoys that. But the one thing that I have to make him realize also is that, yeah, you, you're you assuming the, the role of like the eldest, but also keep in mind that on birth order you're still the second son so you still need to give the respect that your kuya deserve you know i mean we, we don't they don't call each other kuya they call each other by name that's just how we you know the family is no but so that's just one thing that we're dealing on on a continuous basis the youngest one jace um he was actually put on a high risk uh list over here just because you know he has a kuya that has AF. so um so when he was born he also didn't talk very. Early, obviously, that's not autism, right? Now that I realize now, but he was put on a high risk, and so he also received some speech therapy at one point. Not just because they were afraid that he might be like his, yeah, see his his kuya. So, but you know, we he understands better. Um, It seems like between the two brothers, you know, it's the third one doesn't have resentment. I told him that this is what the kuya has. And so if he behaves some more immature ways because of autism. And so he's more accepting. And and my husband, of course, now, he acknowledges that um, all the steps, the drastic steps that we took earlier on is something that is needed. And and really, when I, I go back again and have to do this all over again, there might be some little tweaks that I would do but I will still immigrate, you know. And, and um, in my case, um, I'm content in Singapore, but coming here is the, the the job and the pay is just a perk and a blessing on the side. But the blessing that I actually re- receive here is that I have my son, you know, access all the, um, the resources. And at the same time, you know, we're towards what I uh, have set the goal of, you know, for him to, you know, lead a normal adult
0: life. So hopefully we're still on track. Um, But yeah. Thank you so much, Vicky, for sharing that. I appreciate both of you for taking the time to give us a sneak peek, like a very, you know, a a glimpse of how it's like to have, have a child with autism and then how to navigate everything, resources outside the home, family dynamics. So I am so grateful for your time and for your expertise Thank you so much, Lizette and Vicky, for all the knowledge, information, and expertise that you have shared. And most especially, thank you for the vulnerability of sharing and opening up your heart, opening up your home life of what it's like to have a child with with ASD. So thank you, everyone, again, for listening to the Global Nurse Podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Global Nurse Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Stay tuned to our next episode featuring Filipino nurses living around the world. We will also be talking to nurses working at different specialties and those nurses who decided to take a totally different path. If you are a Filipino nurse or you know a Filipino nurse who would like to be a guest on our show, you can email at theglobalnurse@gmail.com at gmail.com or leave a message at 657-215-9586. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on your social media, or leave a rating or review. Our theme music is done by our sound engineer, Ryan Peralta, for logistics and art cover design by Shakina Branis. Special thanks to Adam, my family, Mama, Karen, Kim, and Chris Retardo, and my friend, Pep Publico. Thanks again for listening to the Global Nurse Podcast. This is your host, Kathy K. Retardo. Until next time.